Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Wednesday. It is November 1st. We're going to talk about the Green Bay Packers embracing the tank, trading Rasul Douglas. We'll explain what that means, what the Packers can look forward to, all sorts of different stuff uh, around that topic as it was kind of a surprising trade. Uh, So we'll get into that. Uh, We'll also talk about Craig Council, now a free agent. What does that mean? Will Craig Council actually leave the Milwaukee Brewers and then lastly we will talk about the Milwaukee Bucks and their game against the Miami Heat three things to know and golden keg and tap keg we'll get in to that uh and that'll be today's show uh before we get going just a reminder social media tap and keg on Twitter uh or x as they call it uh and then I should just start calling it x I mean I I don't think like Twitter is coming back, so I should just call it X, but uh, it's it's hard. It's still hard. Uh, we're on Instagram, Tab the Keg Sports, uh, Tab the Keg Sports on TikTok as well. TikTok has been off the charts uh, the last few days, so if you guys are joining us from TikTok, welcome in. Uh, happy to have you. We do this four times a week, usually Monday, Tuesday, and then take off Wednesday, and then Thursday, Friday. Mitch and I are usually there on Thursday, uh, but because of the trade deadline, we pushed it back a day, which was probably a good idea. Uh, also, uh, we are on Facebook, Tabernacle Keg Sports. Uh, if you are new to the show and you want to subscribe, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, where wherever else. You get your podcast. We are there. Uh, if you're already subscribed, you know what to do. Drop this in the group chat. Talk with your friends. Uh, we're a little late uh, to the party today. Uh, it was a, uh, could, could get off the mat. Uh, too much Halloween candy uh, on Tuesday night. So that's why we're taping it this morning. Uh, and let's get going and talk about Rasul Douglas. I also want to talk a little bit about Rashawn Gary. Uh, we didn't talk about that extension. So I want to fit that in uh, after we talk. Rasul Douglas, the tank, and everything else. We did not know if the Green Bay Packers were going to make a move. I was on the bike uh, working out in the afternoon and I put my notifications on to say like, all right, well, if there's a deal that happens, I'm kind of ready for it and I can react live or I can make sure that immediately after I get off the bike, I hop off and I I give my opinion. And the trade deadline was kind of the NFL trade deadline, right? Not a ton of moves get made, a few here and there. You had Chase Young to San Francisco, which is a wild one. The Bears to getting Montez Sweat was also very wild. Uh, I do not understand Ryan Pohl's team strategy for the life of me. But then at the last hour, the Green Bay Packers trade Rasul Douglas to the Buffalo Bills for a third round pick. Now, this is surprising. Uh, There were a couple people that floated the idea of Sewell getting traded yesterday, and I didn't really like it. Uh, I kind of bristled at that idea just because I felt like Rasul Douglas was the only one that was kind of the leader. Like, to me, he seemed like the defensive leader on this team, that he was the one that was stepping up, the one that was talking to other players, the one that was sort of engaging with the media. And I felt like that mattered. Like, I felt like that's important. And apparently the Packers valued a third round draft pick more than Rasul Douglas. And I understand it in the sense that they now have five top 100 picks. I, I get that. I think that's a very important thing for a draft that is a, a significant one with all the quarterbacks, with all the wide receivers, with just the talent 
that's there in 2024 because you have guys who stayed back because of NIL, because of COVID, because of injuries, and it, it's just a loaded fucking NFL draft. So I, I get that in the sense, but you also took one of the heartbeats away from your team. And it, the only thing you can say there is that it screams tank. It screams that you do not wanna be a good football team, that you have decided to pack it in for the season, no pun intended that this is sort of your goal is to be one of the worst teams in the National Football League. Now that is a tough pill to swallow. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's not one of those things that we all should enjoy or embrace. Like I'm still gonna go in every Sunday hoping my team wins. I am not going to hope that they lose games. I think cheering for you, cheering for your team to lose at this point of the season is loser behavior. Now, if they're bad and it's if it's late, uh, late November, early December, I have 0.0 problem rooting for com- being competitive and competitive lo- competitive losing, which we can talk about more tomorrow uh, with Mitch. But like, I-, I cannot at this point, at this juncture of the season, root for losing and root for failure because, which is so fucked up to say, and maybe you look back on this and you say, well, why do they do this? They could tra- they could essentially beat the Rams, beat the Steelers, and all of a sudden they're four and five and they're right in the playoff hunt. And they're right in there. Now, we've seen this before in other sports, and I, I believe in football, I'd have to look back. I, I admittedly did not do the research, but we have seen situations where teams come back to life and all of a sudden, even though they made a deal, they're somehow in the hunt because the NFL is a long season. The seventh playoff team is a complete joke, but sometimes you're the clown. And I, here's the thing, like, So I do see that positive side. I'm always a glass half full guy. I'm always a guy who's probably going to have too high of expectations. That's just my personality as a sports fan. And I said to you guys on this podcast in September, if you're two and five at the deadline, you should trade away players. But my question is, is why didn't you trade more? If you are going to lean into this, why didn't you trade more? If you're going to say, all right, we are going to be a bad football team, then fucking commit to it. Trade Preston Smith. I understand Jair Alexander doesn't make any sense to trade because you actually lose money on that. Ken Inglis had that. And as Ken is annoying sometimes in his in spreadsheets, that was, a, that was a good nugget. So credit to Ken. Why wouldn't you trade Aaron Jones? I do think if Bakhtiari had been healthy, Bakhtiari would have been traded. But he isn't healthy, so there you have it. Like, embrace the fucking tank. They are not necessarily embracing the tank. Everybody can have their tank gifts. Everybody can have their Preston Smith jokes, which admittedly were funny. But like, we do not know if they're tanking just yet. Like, I understand what I said in the open about embracing it, but it's not necessarily a full embrace. Because if it was a full embrace, you would have cleaned house. You would have reset. You would have said, all right, we're going to fire Joe Barry. We're going to start this thing all over right now. But instead, we are just trading away one guy because the Buffalo Bills asked about him. And they were planning to trade him, according to Brian Gunekust. And he meets with the media later this, this morning. 
And they are going to say, all right, we're going to trade Douglas because we got a third round pick for him. That is good value for a guy that, you know, is has a year left on his deal. He's 29 years old. Like that is pretty solid value. Now you gave up a fifth round pick, but that that's an early fifth rounder to move up to the third round and a late third rounder at that, considering the Buffalo Bills will likely be a playoff team. So that'll be somewhere in the late third round. But guess what? You could probably use your picks now and move around the draft. You have five total picks in the first 100, which allows you to make big moves. You're gonna have two second round picks. And who knows where the Jets end up. I think they're gonna be around 500. So you'll probably have a middle of the middle of the pack second round pick. You'll have a top second round pick if the Packers are this bad. And then you're gonna have a top five, top 10 pick in next year's NFL draft. You have a chance to make significant moves. But I think one of the things that's troubling about all of this is the Packers went too far into the youth movement. If you understand or you listen to tapping the keg, we are sometimes ahead of the curve. Sometimes we're behind the curve, but a lot of times we, we think of things before they actually are topics. It, it, and it warms my heart and I always smile about it and it makes me proud to do this shit all the time. I said to you guys last week with Mitch, I said, is the youth movement a bust? And Mitch kind of waffled, didn't really give me, you know, a true answer. And I kind of was like, yeah, I, I think that they, you know, it was an overcorrection. If you listen to Mike Sando with Ryan Rosillo last week on Monday's show on, on the Ryan Rosillo podcast, he, expl- he says the exact same thing. They were excited about their wide receivers. They overvalued their wide receivers and they didn't get veteran wide receivers in that. I, I am so mad at Devontae Adams. I do not feel a ounce of sadness for Devontae Adams that, oh, we should feel bad because they fired their coach and they got rid of his guy, Derek Carr and everything like that. Devontae Adams had a fucking offer to stay with Jordan Love. And if Devontae Adams is here right now, I Packers are probably two wins better, right? I, I, can we say that confidently? Like if Jordan Love had Devontae Adams to throw him the ball, I think Jordan Love is A, considered different, I think Devontae Adams continues his, you know, ascend as a as a top receiver. But they almost wanted to rid the poison of Aaron Rodgers. And I, when I say poison, I don't think it that way. Uh, just let me, let me be 100% clear. I do not see that. But they wanted to get all of the poison out. Like they wanted to drain that snake. And they wanted to say, all right, we're going to get all the veterans out of here. We're going to get anyone that's loosely tied to Aaron Rodgers and just completely reset. They're a young team and they don't know what the fuck they're doing. We have so many moments where basically people are in the same area on offense. Defenses are arguing back and forth at each other because people don't know their positions. Nobody knows what the fuck they're doing on either side of the ball. And we trade away a guy who actually knew what was going on, who was a vocal leader, who was working with those guys to try to make them better and encouraging guys like Quay Walker, who put the responsibility of himself and said, it was my fault that I dropped that interception. And Rasul's like, if we had 11 Quays, we would be 7-0 right now. So, and we're losing that guy and that guy is no longer on this team. And, and we're supposed to think like, 
all right, it's going to be it's going to be all better. And yeah, we're not tanking. Brian Gunacus is going to come out of the media and say, oh, well, you know, we're still going to be a competitive football team. We like what we have with Carriage and Valentine, Robert Rochelle. It's all bullshit. I'm sorry. Like, I think that's the frustrating thing about this because it, they are embracing the tank, yes, by but they're 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 just kind of getting in the in the tank. Like they're just sort of leaning on the tank. They're not actually driving that motherfucker. And they could have. That's the frustrating part. They could have traded Preston Smith. They could have traded Kenny Clark, Aaron Jones. Like if you would have traded two or three of those guys, you're tanking. And that's okay. But you're doing this half in, half out bullshit because you don't want the fans to check out. But the problem is they already have. And God damn it, I hope they play competitive football here for the next few weeks. I, I still want to win football games. I don't really want to tank. I've seen too much good football to just enjoy a 4-13 and season. I was going to get rid of the red zone this week. I think I have to cancel my subscription here soon. But I'm like, maybe I don't. Maybe I don't because I, I can't watch bad football time and time again. But I still will because I have a podcast and I love this team. But my God, this is frustrating. This is as frustrated as I have been as a Packer fan in a very long time. At least with Aaron Rodgers in 2008, there felt like there was some direction. They felt like we knew where they were going. Right now, it seems like the, the Packers are just driving across lanes. They're just crossing in and out of lanes. They don't know where the fuck they're going. And that fundamentally is a problem and needs to be fixed immediately. So Brian Gunacoust, the pressure is on, the heat is on. And Matt LaFleur, the heat is on, the pressure is on. Because at least look like a competent fucking football team. Don't look like you're playing football for the first time on Sunday. I look forward to seeing what the Packers look like without Rasul Douglas and Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup eating Joe Barry's lunch. Because you know, whether it's Brett Rippon, whether it's Matt Stafford, that is going to fucking happen. Again, I apologize for the frustration, but, and I, I tried to, I, I even tried. I, I had like a moment where I was like, well, you know, two wins, like you're kind of back in it. No, it's just, it, it's just, I, I want to see some sort of form of progress. And I think that's the part that's irking me and worrying me as a fan and as somebody who, you know, does this for a hobby. I, I can't say a living. But who does this for a hobby where it's like, I want to at least see us pointing in the right direction. And, and there is no sign of that. There's absolutely no sign of direction. So I, I, I need to see more from Green Bay. And I need to see that progress. And if we don't see that progress, then real questions need to be asked about Matt LaFleur. And real questions need to be asked about Brian Gunacoust. Time is ticking. Let's see how they respond. All right. Uh, real quickly on the Rashawn Gary extension, which was sort of the good news of the week so far. Uh, Rashawn Gary getting paid made a lot of sense. It was a team-friendly deal. Uh, Rashawn Gary, one of the leaders of this team, and I think now with Douglas leaving, you're going to need more from Rashawn Gary in terms of that vocal leadership. And Green Bay 
has their defensive front seven sort of established. You know, whether it's Gary and Van Ness, uh, Preston Smith likely on his way out next year. Uh, you have Ingen Barre too, who's pretty talented. Uh, they have a, a really good semblance of a edge rushing group. And Rashawn Gary has definitely earned it. I don't think that was a guy that you wanted to walk out the door. And Green Bay usually takes care of their own. They did just that with Rashawn Gary. I think Rashawn Gary has Packer in him. Uh, I think he really loves being a Green Bay Packer. Uh, he's definitely a guy that is a team first type of player. And we've just seen it on the football field time and time again, and he's a game wrecker. And I still think they're kind of slow, slow pitching him a little bit. You know, he's not, I don't think he's, he's on the on the field as much as maybe you'd like him to be. But I would imagine as you get a year past, a year removed from the ACL, you will start seeing more of Rashawn Gary on that football field. And hopefully there will be more, there's going to be more success this season and years to come. I mean, they're paying him, you know, like a top edge rusher. And that's exactly what Rashawn Gary is. And I don't think he's at the Miles Garrett, TJ Watt, Nick Bosa level just yet. But do I think he can get to that level? I think there it's on the table. I think he needs to be a little bit better and contain, right? Uh, that That's certainly something that needs to come. And hopefully with time as he looks and studies and watches, you know, those other guys can definitely happen. Uh, I think that, you know, he can do, if he does a little bit more in terms of just, you know, his bull rush and his speed is hard to quantify for most offensive tackles. They, it's rare that Rashawn Gary, you know, gets held to not doing anything. Like at some point he's going to infect havoc and he does usually. Uh, but I, I just think there needs, there, not, I wouldn't say there needs to be, there, he, he has what it takes to be at that level. I think it's just, you know, being a little bit better in the run game is all that's, all that's left for Rashawn Gary. And that's exciting. And I think there is a case to be made that two or three years down the road, this could look like a great investment for the Green Bay Packers because Rashawn Gary is at that level that we talked about, that that first tier of guys, Bosa, Garrett, Watt. Like, I, I think, I do think Rashawn Gary can get there. So we'll have to see uh, if he does, but I, I think it's a good deal. I don't think any of us are concerned about that contract or worried about that deal. So I wanted to mention that before we, we move on to Craig Council because I, I don't want to, I, as mad as I am about just direction and what we just talked about, I do think that that is a solid step forward, at least with Sean Gary. Now, hopefully he can start playing more as we are a year removed, really, from that ACL tear. As for Craig Council, Craig Council is officially a free agent. His contract is done with the Milwaukee Brewers as of October 31st. The Brewers gave permission for Council to speak with the New York Mets, the Cleveland Guardians, the Houston Astros have expressed interest in Craig Council as well. It was a Met guy that I, a team I think I mentioned, I, I don't know what podcast I mentioned that with, but I said, you know, there, I think that is on the table for him. And Craig Council now has a decision to make. Is he going to leave the Milwaukee Brewers or is he going to come back? And John Morosi of MLB.com reported yesterday that it's more likely that Council's managing in 2024 than he's not. Uh, I think that he's seen, you know, the contracts that other teams are willing to offer. 
And is Mark Ananasio going to come to the table? And I think that as long as it's not something outrageous, right? But I think the fact is we don't know managers' contracts, so we don't know what outrageous looks like. Is Craig Council worth $10 million? I think there are a lot of people that think he would be. Now, is that a complete sellout by Craig Council? In a way, but when you sell out, you're basically making sure that your family's protected for life. Now, I would imagine Craig Council has done very well for himself being a former player and then also being a manager. I can't think that Craig Council needs the money, quote unquote, but we always need more money, right? We, as, as human beings, we're always going to chase dollar signs and we're always gonna, and I'm sure for Craig Council, it feels nice to be respected because he's not one manager of the year. He's not necessarily revived in terms of just the pop culture of baseball. I think baseball fans, seam heads, if you will, know how good Craig Council is, but other people, just your common person who's more of a football fan and not a baseball fan, they don't understand Craig Council. They might call him Clownsel or people who just don't know ball don't get how good Craig Council is. So I think, I hope that those people now understand that. Now that he's getting looked at by New York, Cleveland, Houston, San Diego has not thrown their name in the hat, but it would not surprise me if San Diego also had interest in council, right? Like, I, I think all of those should be on the table for him. And I don't hate the idea from Craig Council's perspective, I hate it from a rural perspective, but I, from Craig Council's idea to get an idea of, all right, here's what all these guys are paying me. Here's what I want from the Brewers. Now, maybe he takes less money, but he asked Mark Ananasio, I want a $150 million roster. I want one more guy. I want them to pay for Matt Chapman and get Matt Chapman at third base. Totally using him as an example, but I think he's an ideal player for the Brewers. And Spot Spot Rack or Spot Track, yeah, Spot Track had him at like a, I think it was a six-year, one hundred four million dollar deal. So I was like, yeah, that's great. And I think that that's you know very much on the table. Or saying to the Brewers like, hey, I like all these young guys, but here are the young guys that I think we should move, or I think that we should consider moving to get more veterans. Is how can we be like Texas? How can we be like Arizona? When you see a World Series winner, you're like, how can we be like these teams? Now, there is a very real opportunity that the Brewers could be next year's Arizona. I know that sounds crazy, but Jackson Trio could have a Corbin Carroll impact in a, in a different way, but he can have a Corbin Carroll-like impact. They have other rookies like Tyler Black, who could easily be your Gabby Moreno. Uh, you have... Garrett Mitchell, year two, year three now, uh, more like year two. You have Bryce Trang in another year, which I think he's going to be a lot better. I will, I will buy your Bryce Trang stock if you want it. Uh, Sal Freelich, of course. Uh, Joey Weimer. Uh, there are a lot of different options for the Milwaukee Brewers. And then you also have those veterans like a Christian Yelich and Willie Adamas at this point. But So it, it's very interesting to look at the Brewers next year and say, well, why can't you be like Arizona? And Craig Council has to know that. Now, he obviously knows with the New York Mets and with the Houston Astros and sort of the Guardians. The Guardians, I, I don't necessarily get. Like, if he goes to the Guardians, that is a extreme fuck you to the Brewers. That is like, 
to me, that's the one that we then really start to have to ask asking questions about what what's going on. And is that an Arnold and Council thing? Is that a Council and Ananasio thing? Like, that's the one that would really sort of be uh, one to ask yourself a lot of questions with. If he cashes out with New York, all right, we understand why. If he takes the Astros job, okay, Astros have been in seven straight ALCSs. Why wouldn't you want to coach the Astros? I understand the idea that maybe they're at the end of their run, their window is closing. But still, you there's that, they, I don't think it's close. It's not, I think windows are always funny too with, it, with that, like, that mentality. Like windows aren't closed until they're closed, right? Every year, I think people have expected the Astros to die and they haven't. They're like the New, York, New England Patriots. They're like the Golden State Warriors. They are the team of the decade. And until they say they're done, they're not done. It's like Alabama, right? We all were like, okay, Alabama's done this season. We're done with Alabama. They lose to Texas and then they struggle against USF. And we're like, all right, Alabama, one of the worst teams in, or like the worst Nick Saban team in a while. Not one of the worst in football. One of the worst Nick Saban teams in a long time. They have one loss. I think they're eighth in the BC or uh, the college football playoff rank. You know, here's some BCS. And they're playing LSU this week. And all of a sudden, Alabama wins that game. They're creeping up towards six. And all of a sudden, you're like, okay, Alabama's right in the fucking mix again. So I think with the idea of the Astros, like, yeah, count, you could say that as an outsider perspective. But council could look at it and be like, well, Altuve has a couple years left. Bregman has a couple years left. You know, Hunter Brown's just going to get better. Uh, he wasn't that good this season. They have a, a little bit in their bullpen. Like, there, there is pieces for the Astros to be special. And they're going to spend money. And they're going to try to bring guys in. They brought in Jose Abreu. Man, but I've liked Jose Abreu. I'm saying this from a council perspective. I, I'd want, I didn't want Jose Abreu. Let's just... For the record, I felt like three years, $66 million for a guy who's 35 is fucking ridiculous. You never actually know what's there, what these guys are thinking about in count these guys being counsel. Like there is no real idea of, all right, yeah, maybe he did like want to Jose Abreu on the Brewers last year. Not saying that's a good idea, but that's sort of, you never know. And so I think with Craig Council now, it's imperative that the Brewers get all the information from Craig Council, and then they work on some sort of agreement to say, all right, we want you to be a brewer for life. Now, if Craig Council decides that he wants to try something new, that happens in life. There are people who work with companies for as long as, as, as the day is long, and they have all, they are just basically, it's they are the king, they're the cock of the walk, and yet, there is at some point in their life, they're just like, I want to try something new. And Craig Council, even though we were like, oh, he wants to watch his boys play baseball. He has a daughter still in high school. Council might be like, you know what? I, I don't necessarily want to be a full-time dad. Now you can criticize that and it's in your own way, but he's like, I still want to, I still want to chase the rainbow. Like, I still want to get that championship. And if Craig Council believes that he cannot win a championship with the Milwaukee Brewers, he leaves because that's the last thing on his, his radar. And Craig Council knows like if he wins that championship, he is suddenly revered. 
Now, do I think his managing style will work in New York? No, I don't think Mets fans who are assholes will understand how Craig Council manages baseball. I really don't. They will have 0.0 idea of what Craig Council is doing. And they will be critical and it will piss me off. I follow a ton of Mets fans on X. And I don't. I just don't want to see it. Like, I, I, I really don't. And I really hope that Craig Council is here for the next generation of Brewer baseball. But at this point, how can any of us be sure? I think we are just all sort of in here for a very bumpy ride. We will likely know, I would imagine, by next week after the season is over and the GM meetings are happening. I think we'll have an answer on Craig Council. And hopefully it's an answer that we all want. All right, let's wrap up today's show with the Milwaukee Bucks. Shorter show today. Uh, not a problem. Uh, I, I think that's that's okay. Uh, we should probably get back to some of that where they're not these long, uh, long-form shows. Uh, I, I, I'm okay with that. And the Milwaukee Bucks are playing the Toronto Raptors tonight. Mitch and I are doing the pod right after Bucks Raptors. But I did want to make sure that we recapped the Bucks and Heat on Monday night. Uh, the... Game was a very tough one to watch originally uh, because Bally Sports app uh, completely malfunctioned. They were trying to set up sort of their new version of it and it went completely haywire. According to some, it's still having problems today. So I hope that's not the case. I hope that we don't have to go to the streams because let me tell you, the streams are behind. And when the Bucks were, <laughs> it got close with the Heat in the fourth quarter, uh, they were, it was one of those things where I couldn't go on Twitter. I could not go and look at what was going on because I was very far behind. And I was in constant fear that they were gonna blow this game to the Miami Heat. Now they didn't, which is great. And I'm glad the Bucks won and it's two and one on the season and they looked entirely different than Sunday. Mitch hates when I say that the Bucks are hungover, uh, but as my guy Shafty pointed out, I, and I can't remember if I mentioned that on Monday, they were hungover. Like they, they just looked like they were a team who, I did mention that, like they looked like a team who had sort of went through it all. And it was not necessarily uh, a, a very good situation there for Miami. And I... Uh, or I'm sorry for the Bucks, and, and I I do think that they they had a little bit of sluggishness knocked off on Monday, and they looked ready to play, and they came out with fire and played very well in that game against Miami. And you know, the in terms of the three things to know and three things to sort of take away from this game, the biggest one was Giannis Antetokounmpo on Jimmy Butler right away. Giannis Antetokounmpo guarded Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler did not score when Giannis Antetokounmpo faced off against Jimmy Butler. Uh, he, I think there were 23 possessions where Antetokounmpo picked up on Butler and Butler did not score once. Jimmy Butler, for the rest of the game, was kind of thrown off by it. Uh, he only scored 13 points. I think he was 4 of 11 on shooting. Uh, he only got to the free throw line four times. And that was the first sort of note of Giannis Antetokounmpo taking the bigger, the top guy. And we're going to see this now the rest of the season. Now, can this work for the playoffs? I am unsure on it. I think that I still have questions on it. And that's a, I will save the question for tomorrow's show because that works with our topic that I have planned for Mitch and I. 
But I think it's a great sort of regular season thing because you have the Milwaukee Bucks not only winning the game, not only Giannis scoring 33 points and had seven rebounds, but he defended the top guy and had no problem doing it. He did not seem tired. He did not seem like he was lagging. It just, it and it threw Miami off. And Jimmy Butler is a guy who is a rhythm dude and he needs that first quarter to kind of get started. And Giannis sort of putting the clamps on him in the first quarter was really sort of set the tone for the rest of the game. And it really threw Miami off of what they're doing, especially without Bam Adebayo. And so I think that Giannis Antetokounmpo picking up the top guy is going to pay off for the Milwaukee Bucks and how they start basketball games. I think it really helps sort of the start of the game. And it sort of throws, you know, their top guy off if their top guy is a wing defender. Against a team like Atlanta, you're not going to have Giannis guard Trey Young. That's just, Trey Young's going to, even though uh, I think it would be a very funny matchup, uh, just in terms of the, the height difference, I think Trey Young would roll right past them or go under Giannis's legs or something like that. Like, I don't think it would exactly work the way that maybe we'd hope. But I, I do think that you're going to start seeing this more and more, and especially because it worked, right? It, it made Miami sort of have to alter what they were doing, you know, the rest of the game because Jimmy Butler did not necessarily show up. Jimmy Butler seemed frustrated and he did not necessarily have that good first quarter. Now, granted, the Heat hung in there and the second quarter was really where the Bucks started to pull away in this game. But yeah, there was nothing from Jimmy Butler that you really liked. It was really a reliance on Tyler Hero who had 35 points in this game. But it, like that was the guy you needed to sort of bail you out. And he did, like he had a good game, but that that threw off what they had planned, you know, for this game. And they and they planned to attack with Jimmy. And this was sort of a reminder to the Miami Heat that things are a little bit different this time around. The other thing to know is I was really impressed with the Bucks bench. I felt like the Bucks bench played really well in this game. Uh, you had 16 points from Bobby Portis, eight, eight rebounds too. You had 11 points from Campaign. He made three threes. Jay Crowder had eight points, was two of three from three, also grabbed down five rebounds. Uh, I, I Look, it, I, Pat Content also eight points, five rebounds. I, look at all the rebounds also that the Bucks bench was grabbing, right? You have five, eight, and five from Portis, Crowder, and Connaughton. You also had, you know... Ma- multiple made threes from three of those guys as well. Like I I look at this all and I am very impressed. I'm very happy. I don't think the minutes are that crazy from the bench. I understand that, you know, I think we're still getting into the early part of the season. So I don't think you're going to get 40 minutes from Antetokounmpo. Lillard played 35, Antetokounmpo played 32. So I, I still think you're kind of load managing a little bit and Middleton not playing his full allotment means you need more from the bench. But I've been very impressed with the start from Bobby Portis this season. He's playing really well defensively. He's also just being that spark plug for Milwaukee in the first first half. I think what campaign has added is more than what Javon Carter did. Like I think campaign plays within the offense. I don't know if Javon Carter necessarily did. And Pat Conton 
And Jay, well, I want to talk Jay Crowder too, but Pat Conson looks a little more like the Pat Conson of two years ago. And I think Pat, Pat last year was perpetually injured. And I think we had a lot of questions on, you know, hey, is he washed? Is, you know, it's just not necessarily the same Conson. I think he always was there. I just think PC had injury after injury and just could not stay healthy. Now, obviously early part of the season and if he starts getting nicks and bruises and whatnot, that's going to be a problem. But I think right now he looks really good and Crowder has at least a little more of a step. I think that's I think that's another big sort of thing about this team so far. It's like whether the Bud Crowder relationship just didn't work because Bud was like, I'm not going to have another P.J. Tucker on my team and sort of put the clamps down on Crowder as well. And Crowder didn't fit in with what Bud was doing. He fits in with what Doc Griffin wants to do. And Crowder's responding. And Crowder's playing really well to start this season. And I and maybe it's because he's in shape because he, you know, it wasn't like, you know, he had to turn it on after not playing for so long. But we're really seeing a good version of, of Jay Crowder too. And he was guarding Jimmy as well and talking a lot of shit. Like it was, was very much himself. And maybe Bud didn't let Jay Crowder be Jay Crowder. And I think sometimes when you limit guys' personalities on the court, and I understand that personalities can get you in trouble sometimes, you know, technicals and whatnot or firing up opposition. But I, I think that's sometimes when you limit your ceiling as a team. Like, if you just are like, oh, you can't have fun, like, uh, I don't know. That I'm sure for Jay Crowder, like, it's fun talking shit to Jimmy Butler. Probably like, why are you a dick to Marquette, dude? Like, why are you holding this grudge against Marquette? No one's there anymore that got rid of Buzz Williams. Like, shut the fuck up. Come back. And which is another another story for another time. We don't need to, we don't need to get into that. But, yeah, I, I really like what I've seen from the Bucks bench uh, so far this season. And then I think number three – Heat sitting Bam is such a heat move. I don't know if you guys remember this last year. You can look through the game logs of last season, but the Heat would always sit one guy against the Bucks. One guy would take a seat, whether it was Butler, whether it was Bam. Sometimes they sat both. They rarely played all their guys. And it's like this weird Spolstra competitive advantage that they don't want the Bucks to see the Heat at full strength. They've sort of made it a point that they will never see the Heat at full strength. And it is so annoying because I just think it's, A, it, I, I think teams duck the Bucks. I, I think they did a lot last year where it'd be suddenly a guy would have the sniffles and not be able to play against Milwaukee. Boston did this shit too. Or uh, Jokic wouldn't play or whatever. It's like, just play the guys against Giannis. Like, I do think Giannis is a bitch to deal with. I understand that from a team's perspective where we're like, we don't want our guy getting punished by Giannis in the paint for our a full game. But that's part of the 82 game schedule, man. Like you're going to have to deal with it in some way. So I hate that we didn't get the full picture of the Miami Heat. I know it's early in the season. I know they play in Miami in late November. And I think that's part of the, the, I don't think that's part of the in-season tournament, is it? I'm not, I can't remember if the Heat are in our, in our little round robin sort of thing. Um, Let me check. I think they'll know if that's an in-season tournament. That is an in-season tournament group play. So they play Miami on TNT on the 28th, and that'll be the in-season tournament. So you would expect that you're going to see the full heat at that point. It'll be interesting to see what's different in that game. Will Giannis take Jimmy? How will Jimmy adjust to Giannis Antetokounmpo being on him? We'll have to see. 
But yeah, I, I am annoyed, perpetually annoyed by that Miami sort of thing they do. All right, this is a new segment that we're going to add to the Bucks stuff we're doing called Golden Keg and Tap Keg. You remember the Golden Keg, the best of the best from the Packers. We're going to bring that in here, but we're only going to do one. So we're only going to do one guy and then one thing that kind of annoyed me or that I didn't like. like sometimes it's a player, sometimes it's like a moment in the game or something else. Bally really should get the tap keg, but since we already bitched about Bally, we'll bitch about something else. Golden keg, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, we talked about his defense already. Offensively, Giannis had an awesome game. 33 points, as mentioned, seven rebounds. Uh, he was really aggressive in the paint. The Bucks had 56 paint points. A lot of that was Antetokounmpo, you know, just dominating inside against Miami. Uh, was eight of 11 from the free throw line. Uh, after the free throw struggles against Philadelphia, he's kind of made his free throws again. So I feel like that was just one game, only two turnovers, three fouls. So like really playing a clean version of basketball. Now, can he be passing it a little more to Damian Lillard at times? Yeah, sure. But I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not that worried about that right now. Again, they are still learning. They are still learning how to play basketball with one another. And I'm not exactly intimidated, like scared of it. I mean, I don't think that it's anything to worry about for at least the first 20 games. Uh, and I, I just don't, I, I, I don't think that it's something that we need to just start freaking out about and throw the baby out of the bathwater, which is probably an un-PC term, but yeah. Uh, I love what I saw from Antetokounmpo against the Heat. Definitely a statement. 33 and 32 minutes also too. Very impressive. I think he would have still done it against Bam, by the way. But it just shows you how important Bam Adebayo is to that team because they have nothing inside without him. Thomas Bryant, no way can hold the Antetokounmpo. Kevin Love, we already know. Orlando Robinson, who's a nice player. Again, another Heat player. I had to look up where Orlando Robinson went to school. Fresno State, for those who are curious. But it's like the Heat, they did it again. Like, fuck so annoying. It's so, so goddamn annoying. Uh, tapped keg, uh, fourth quarter struggles. Bucks got outscored 41 to 25 against the Heat in the fourth quarter. Uh, the They really gave up a lot of points in that last quarter. I, I will say a lot of that was Miami making threes. They made seven of eight from three. They were just throwing up prayers. And the Bucks took the fo foot off the gas pedal a little bit. We're up to 24. Kind of thought this game was in the bank. You can't let up against Miami Heat. You just, you, you got to know that. Um, and, you know, it's a good lesson, right? You got to put teams away a little bit in that fourth quarter. You can't just completely say, all right, we're done in there. And I'll, I'll be honest, like seeing the Suns blow a 20-point lead yesterday to the San Antonio Spurs, who is who are worse than the Heat, who are nowhere near what the Heat are, made me feel a little bit better. Because the Bucks didn't exactly blow the lead. They just made it close. And I'm not, so at, at that point, I, I don't feel as bad, you know, now now that I did. So I, I feel a little bit better. I'm glad that they were able to keep the heat at bay. Like every time the heat got to like six, the Bucks were able to get a basket. I think that's the lowest it got. So I'm, I'm happy about that. And I'm happy for that. And I'm glad the Bucks were able to come out victorious and beat Miami. And now we're two and one. Like I said, we're going to be doing a podcast right after the Raptors Bucks tonight. Uh, so we'll recap that game. We'll have a Bucks topic and then we'll talk Packers. And we'll talk other stuff. So look forward to that. All right. Take care. Have yourself a great Wednesday and we'll be back tomorrow. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.